Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus for us and that you've given us your word and that you give us the Holy Spirit. We pray now that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit as we look into your word and that we would listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Revelation. We're only three weeks into it now, and uh, I'm, I'm very much now leaning towards doing the whole book of Revelation. I, I still want to hear from you on that, but um, one of the reasons that I decided to start this series is because the book of Revelation reminds us to focus on Jesus. And that's got to be good for our souls, right? Today, we're starting in chapter 2. And if you have a, a Bible where they have red letters, some Bibles have that where the, the words that Jesus spoke are in red letters, you would see that all of chapter 2 and 3 are in red letters because it is a message from Jesus to the seven churches, the churches mentioned in chapter 1, the churches of Asia from 2,000 years ago. Uh, but as I said last Sunday, these seven messages to these seven churches weren't just for those seven churches back then. Because as it, sends, as it says at the end of every one of them, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if you have an ear, I want you to hear what the Spirit said to those churches back then because I think it applies to us today. In fact, I think that what we see in these two chapters is so timeless that you will be able to find yourself at multiple places in Revelation 2 through 3. There's seven messages. To some of them, some of these churches, the message is really good. Hey, you're doing really well. Keep going. I know it's hard, but keep going. To others of the churches, it was, hey, something's really wrong here. And that's, that's kind of what we're getting at to today. And the first of these seven messages is to the church at Ephesus. And you can see the title of my sermon, Something's Not Right. Um, the first message, like I said, is to the church of Ephesus. Now, I have been to the city of Ephesus. You can actually visit it today. It's in modern-day Turkey, just kind of on the west coast, located next to one of the big cities in Turkey. Uh, but you can actually go there. So I want to show you a few pictures of what I saw when I went. These were, I didn't take these photos, but uh, can you see these? Yeah, so that, I, I think this is fascinating. You can go there and walk on that road, and that road is like 2,000 years old, and you can see the pillars that were there, and you can kind of just imagine the city that sprawled out from there. Uh, this next picture, you know what, that is a picture of their library. Uh, isn't that interesting? 2,000 years ago or so, they, they thought it was so important to have a library that they built this huge, amazing looking structure and it, and it still stands today. And then I love this next picture. This is their amphitheater, this, this huge structure that was, that was there in the ancient city of Ephesus. So as, as you picture what's being said here, you can picture this being spoken to the church in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was probably the most important city in the province of Asia of that day. It was located on three major trade routes. And the Apostle Paul spent probably between two to three years in the city of Ephesus. He used it as a base for church planting and evangelism. And from Ephesus, the gospel just spread. And the, the, the gospel took root in Ephesus as well, and the church took root in Ephesus. So by the time we get to Revelation 2 and we see a message given from God to John by an angel uh, to the church at Ephesus, the church had been around for a little while. Uh, and by that time, the church was doing a lot of things right, but there was one very important thing that they got wrong. And I want to give you an illustration. Uh, 
for, for some of you out there, it's tax season. For those of you who aren't procrastinators, uh, for me, I get a, a letter in the mail every year around December from the guy who helps me prepare my taxes, and I start to think around this time, okay, I need to get those together. Usually sometime, hopefully early February, I just sit down, I get all of my stuff together, I answer all the questions that I need to ask, uh, I need to answer, uh, and I want you to think about doing that. I want you to, and I hope that your heart attitude when you're doing your taxes is to say, uh, I want to honor God with what I give. Because even Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar. So I hope that your heart attitude is to say, I want to do this right. I want to account for everything that should be accounted for and include everything. So I want to picture yourself going through the painstaking process of doing your taxes, making sure everything is there, all the schedules are there and in order, and you, you come up with your final answer, you write out your check, you put it all in the envelope, you put the stamp on it. But then for some reason and I'll let you decide what that reason is, instead of putting it in the mail, you put it in the garbage. Now, let's say a few months pass by and the, uh, the government, the, the IRS comes knocking and they say, hey, those, uh, those taxes that you were supposed to send in, where are they? And let's say you tell your story to, to Mr. Government Employee and you say, well, here's the deal, you know, I did it. I took a lot of time. I made sure that every I was dotted and every T was crossed and I wrote out that check. And the guy says, well, did you send it in? Well, no, I guess I didn't do that part. Well, what's the government employee going to say to you at that point? Is he going to say, well, I can see that your heart was in the right place. It was, you did a pretty good job. Uh, we'll, we'll just call it good. No more worries here. Is that what he's going to say? No. He's going to say, where's my money? And where's my, on top of the money that you owe, where's the fine that you owe for not sending it in? For the church at Ephesus, they were doing some things right. They were filling out their forms right. But there was something very, very wrong about them. Let's read the message from God to them. In Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Okay, so verse 1 reminds us of what we saw in chapter 1. The seven stars were the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands were the seven churches. Jesus had a message to give to the church of Ephesus, so he gave the message to the angel of the church to deliver it to the church. And I want to quickly remind you of something that I, I pointed out last week. It says there that Jesus walked among the lampstands. It said that in chapter 1, and then it says it also here in verse 1 of chapter 2, that Jesus walks among the lampstands. Remember, the lampstands represent the church, and Jesus is in their midst. And I find that to be incredibly important. Because God is in the midst of his people. When we come together and worship, he is in our midst. You think about the lampstand from the Old Testament. Where was it? It was placed in the temple, in the presence of God, and it would shine and give light. So there's some important realities there. We are, the, the churches are the lampstands. 
We are to be in God's presence, and we are to shine as a light for Him. And as we do that according to His word, the truth of God with us is a blessing for us. Okay, let's move on to verses 2 and 3. In these verses, Ephesus gets good grades. They were doing a lot of things right. It starts out by saying, I know your deeds. This is what, what God's message was to five of the seven churches, which I find to be pretty interesting. God knows our deeds. He sees what we do. And, and for those of us uh, whose heart's desire is to honor God, that's a good thing. God sees what we do, and he will reward us for what we do. But the other side of the coin is true as well, that, that God sees the things that we do that maybe we don't want him to know that we're doing. God knows our deeds. Um, the church here was also uh, commended for their hard work and their perseverance. A church should work hard. A church should persevere. There's work to be done in the Ephesian church. Got to work doing it. And there was clearly opposition to them in Ephesus. Uh, from what we know of the city of Ephesus, there were lots of other gods for people to worship there. Uh, and sometimes, as we read in the Bible, as they revealed the truth about the one true God, some of those other worshipers from those other gods got really mad at them. And, and that happened in the book of Ephesus, but they endured, they persevered, they did not grow weary. So we could pat them on the back and say, good job, guys, that's what you're supposed to do. They also knew um, how to test false teachers. It said they wouldn't tolerate wicked men. And, and that's a good example for us. There are lots of other messages out there in this world. Have you noticed that? Some of them, as we see them, we know they're false right away. But others of them are more hard to discern. And, and we should get good at discerning the truth and discerning what's a lie. Now, I have some tips for you on that. And, and maybe the best tip that I have for you on discerning between a truth and a lie is get good at knowing the truth. There's two things that we want to do, but, but one is more important. We want to know the truth, and we want to reject falsehood. But I think the proper way to go about that is to make sure that we know the truth, so that when we hear a lie, it just rings false. And I think that that's kind of what it's saying that people of the Church of Ephesus did. They got good at knowing the truth, and they rejected what was false. And then another tip, don't just listen to what teachers say. Watch their way of life and see if it brings honor to God. Because if it doesn't, something is wrong. And then if you're still unsure, you, you've heard this message and you're not sure it's true, ask someone you trust and ask them to help you discern. But the important thing is that, that we need to know the truth and that we not fall for a lie. Okay, and then after that, a second time, the church in Ephesus is commended for persevering. And it says here, again, that they endured hardships and had not grown weary. They kept going in difficult circumstances. And then it also says to them, if we skip down to verse 6, that they hated the practices of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus also hated. We don't know exactly what those practices were, although this comes up again in chapter 2, verse 15, in the, the message to Pergamum. But whatever it was they were doing, it wasn't good, and the people of Ephesus saw it and rejected it, and God was pleased with them for what they had done. So again, we see a bunch of good things going on in Ephesus. And we should be known for some of these same good things that they were known for. We should be known for hard work and for perseverance. Hopefully these things accompany our faith. And if we do those things that God wants us to do, he will take notice and he rewards his children for their faithful service. Now by my count, there are nine things in the church that the church of Ephesus was doing right 
and only one thing that they got wrong. So 9 out of 10, not bad, right? Anybody here settle for a 90% in school? That's like an, an A, A minus, B plus. Oh, we got some hands back there. All right. Uh, 90%, pretty good, right? No, not good at all. You know, it's interesting. If you were to move to the city of Ephesus 2,000 years ago and you were to look for a church, you might go to the church at Ephesus and start to say, wow, they got some really good things going on here. You, you know, if you had your checklist of, wow, yeah, that, that's kind of what I think a church should be like. There are a lot of good things going on there. Um, I once heard a list of five things that a church can do if you want to grow, if you want to attract visitors and keep them. I heard a list of five. Are you interested in hearing that list? Okay. I heard this at a conference once, no lie. Uh, and the guy was kind of saying it tongue-in-cheek. He knew. But um, here's the list of five things a church can do. Number one, clean bathrooms. Okay? Number two, soft, comfortable toilet paper. Okay? Are we, are we on board so far? Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Number three, good coffee. Not just coffee, but good coffee. Go the extra mile to get good coffee. Number four, whole donuts. Not donut holes, because that might be seen as cheap, but whole donuts. Okay? And then number five, pens that write well. You don't want to be giving out those chintzy ones that, you know, they run out of ink after half a sentence. Good pens that write well. Okay. What do you think of that list? <laughs> missing something, isn't it? It's missing something pretty super important. It's what Ephesus forgot. For all the good things that the church at Ephesus was doing, they completely missed the point. Look at verse 4. But you, oh, excuse me, verse 4, um, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Here we go. I think the best way to understand first love in this verse is to think about what Jesus said is the first and greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, 37 to 38, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then I think it would be right to include what we see in the next verse, in Matthew 30, 22, 39, love your neighbor as yourself. Those, somebody asked Jesus, what's most important? He said, number one, love God. And then flowing from that, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. The two most important things we can do are love and love. And donuts didn't even make the list. Um, it's like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. This is what we call the love chapter in the Bible. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. If we do what we do without love, what good is it? Forsaking your first love is a horrible thing. Now, when I think of this verse, I often think of a guy that I had the privilege of meeting. When I joined staff with Campus Crusade for Christ back in 1999, I served in that ministry for six years. Uh, the founder and president, Bill Bright, was still alive. And he would often remind us staff never to forsake our first love. That, that was... I would say his main message to us. So it's interesting to me. Here's a group that 
that took upon themselves the task of bringing the gospel to as many lost people as they could to help fulfill the Great Commission. A huge task. Yet the founder and president of it kept reminding us of, the, of job number one. And he kept on saying, do not leave your first love. I remember um, he died uh, shortly after the time that I joined staff. I don't think I caused it, but um, it just happened that way. Um, and all of our, our U.S. staff were together in Colorado for our biannual conference. And he was dying right then. And uh, he had one last message for his staff. And I remember getting out my pen and my paper. What's this guy going to say? And, and guess what he said? The same thing he had said so many times before. Do not leave your first love. Here's a guy that was committed to bringing the gospel to as many people as he could. And his message for the people who joined in with him wasn't just a message of get out there and do it. It was a message of do not leave your first love. And I was so grateful that I heard that from him. I, I, I hope that I will continue to carry that with me for the rest of my life. Do not leave your first love. You see, we can forget to love God, even Christians, even regular church-attending Christians. Am I preaching to the choir now? Uh, in Matthew 24, 12, Jesus, speaking of the signs of the end of the age, prophesied that the love of many will grow cold. Please don't assume that that could never be you. Because remember, we are supposed to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is what the Spirit was saying to the churches. Do not forsake your first love. And what's sad here is that there was a church that had a lot of good things going for it, but they made a huge, huge monumental mistake. In fact, this mistake would be fatal for them if left unchecked. Let me reread for you verses 4 and 5. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What was going on in Ephesus was so dire that Jesus threatened to take their lampstand away. Remember, the lampstand represented the church and it was supposed to be in the presence of God and Jesus threatened to remove it. All these good things they were doing didn't matter if they had forsaken their first love and Jesus was threatening to take them out of his presence. But before he did that, he gave them a chance, and he told them to do two things. They were to remember the height from which they had fallen, and they were to repent and to do the things they did at first. Uh, for them to remember, was for them to remember how much they loved God, how much God loved them, and in response, how much they loved him. So they did love at God. They, they did love God at first. Do you remember that in your life? Think back to a time when you really loved God. Maybe it was at the first, when you first came to know Jesus and understood the gospel. But think back to a time where you really loved God. I remember hearing the gospel message and, and understanding that I was a sinner, but that God loved me anyways, and that his message for me was that he wanted me to open my heart to him, to receive him, so that I could receive forgiveness and eternal life. I remember the person who was telling me said, it's like God wants a 24-hour-a-day relationship with you. And I remember hearing that message and thinking, wow, God, if that's the relationship you want with me, I want that relationship with you. It's good for us to remember a time where our love for God was, was hot. It helps us remember where we should be at now. Don't accept a love that grows cold. Remember your love for God. And then second, the message here is to repent. 
actually, in five of the seven churches, again, the, this topic of repentance comes up. So th- I'm a math guy, and when I see five of seven, I think, well, that's 71%. So what, what I think is that 71% of the time, at least, I should be willing to admit that I might be the one who has the problem. So here's how I like to say it. 50% of the time, it may be your fault, but 71% of the time, it's my fault. The other 71%. Does that add up? I don't think so. We should always be willing to repent. Or at least, we should always be willing to go before God and ask Him if we need to repent. Now, since this message of repentance comes up so often, I want to spend a little bit of time just explaining to you why it's so important and, and how the Bible talks about it. Uh, It's so important because if we are in sin, that means that our relationship with God is being damaged. It's like if if you hear an awful noise in your car and you're like, oh boy, I I don't even know if I should keep going. Well, yeah, you maybe shouldn't keep going because you might damage it. That's the deal with sin. If we are in sin, we are continuing to cause damage to our relationship. What we should do is stop and repent. Now, I love this, and I've said this often, but I want to say it again because this is something that I want to stick in your minds. So, the Old Testament and the New Testament have two different kinds of words for repentance. They mean the same thing, but they use two different word pictures. So, in the Old Testament, the word picture is of turning around. So, think of it this way. Here's God over here. He has a path for me. It's a good path. But all too often, we take a different path. We turn our backs on God and we walk away from Him. What repentance means, then, is that when we come to our senses, we recognize, I'm on the wrong path. I should turn around, turn towards God, turn my back on sin, and then walk on the path that God has for me. And then in the New Testament, the word picture has to do with our minds. The the New Testament word for repentance means a change of mind. So the idea is this. As I was walking on that wrong path, there was something going on in my mind in which I said, it's okay for me to do this. But to change my mind means to go to God, and I think what part of this means that we should confess to God as we're recognizing that we're wrong. We, we confess our sins to him. We say to him, I used to think it was okay for me to do that, but now, God, I agree with you that that was wrong. But we don't even just stop there. Because we don't want to just stand still. We want to keep following God. So part of this change of mind, then, is asking God, help me to walk on the path that you have for me. So we turn around from sin and we change our minds about sin. And we follow God on the path that he has for us. Now in Ephesus, something was very wrong. They started with love and good works, but that degenerated into good works only. How does that happen? And can that happen to us? Now again, I'm speaking to people here who who go to church. Going to church is a good work, right? Is going to church the same thing as loving God? No. Your body can be here, but your heart could be somewhere else. So how does it happen? How does love grow cold? How can you start out in the right place, by faith, giving your whole life to God as a response of love to his love for you, and then get to the point where it's just going through the motions? It reminds me of what Jesus said about the Pharisees and teachers of the law in Mark 7, 6. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So again, how does that happen? Well, perhaps one way is that we get stuck in a routine. Um, 
my wife would tell you, well, maybe she wouldn't tell you because she loves me too much to say anything bad about me, but uh, if she were to tell you, she might tell you that I'm kind of a creature of habit, of, of routine. I have, you know, the, I like to eat my, my meals and my snacks at the same kind of set time throughout the day. And there have been times where Christine has made like a special dessert and, and I've forgotten to eat it because when snack time came, I just ate what I usually eat and I forget about this really awesome thing that she just made. Like, so we call it my eating schedule at home, and I get, I get so focused on my eating schedule that I forget about the, the treasure that's right there. Think about that. Has that ever happened to us in our faith? That we go through our routine, maybe our routine of praying, of reading the Bible, of being involved in fellowship, but all the while missing out on the treasure, missing out on God himself? It can happen to us. It can be easy for us to just go through the motions. So we need to constantly be checking our hearts, asking God, is my heart in the right place? One of the main points of the book of Revelation is that it reminds us to focus on Jesus and to worship God. And that doesn't just happen if you put your body in the right place. That is something that goes on at the heart level, and I hope we're good at recognizing where our hearts are at. So this idea of focusing on Jesus and worshiping God, you could call that the main thing. And for some reason, the people of the church at Ephesus forgot to keep the main thing the main thing. Let me say that again, because I, I think that's important. For some reason, the people in the church of Ephesus forgot to keep the main thing the main thing. Does that ever happen to us? Are we known for our deeds, our hard work, our perseverance, our theological accuracy, our ability to to find out theological falsehood and to reject it. I hope so. Those are things that we should be known for. By faith, I hope we continue in those things. But they're not the main thing. Are we known for loving God? Do we cherish Jesus? Are we a people who worship the God who loves us so much that he sent his son for us? I hope so. Because if not, what are we doing? You're better off sitting at home and watching the pregame show for the playoff games that are coming up today. But we're called to something more than that, something much more wonderful, a treasure that is ours if we will remember our first love. We will cherish him and walk with him and worship him. But let's be honest with ourselves. This this means that we need to be good at figuring out where our hearts are at and letting God do his surgical work inside of us to change us, to shape us into the people he wants us to be. So where are you at? Have you forsaken or forgotten or, or slipped ever so slightly away from your first love? Now we all go through ups and downs right now, but where are you at right now? And if something's not right in your heart, listen to God. Go before Him and then repent. Talk to Him about where you're at. Ask Him to work on your heart. God is never more than a humble prayer away. So if you're struggling with this, I I just want to urge you, urge you to talk to God about this. His invitation to us is a relationship with Him. And in that relationship, we can talk to Him, even if we've been straying. Now, If I've turned my back on God and I've been walking away from Him, 
I shouldn't expect God to bless me as I keep going on that path, but we can certainly expect God to hear us if we repent. There's good news in this. You see, the message to the church of Ephesus wasn't that God had already taken their lampstand away. The message was to remember and to repent. Or else he would take them away. But he gave them the opportunity to repent. And I believe that God gives us that opportunity still today. Will we hear what the Spirit says to the churches? Speaking of that, let's go on to verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So again, we're supposed to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Each of the seven churches has this message. If you have an ear, listen. To whatever degree you find yourself in the next two chapters of Revelation, listen and and do business with God. Then it says, to him who overcomes. That word overcomes talks about somebody who is victorious. How, How are we victorious? Well, it's only in Christ. He is the one who has won the victory for us. And if we are in Him, we get in on the victory that is in Him. But, but that's such a key little phrase in the Bible. In Christ. In Him. The blessings of God are for those who are in Him. And in Him, we can persevere. We can do good works and good deeds by love and by faith. So keep going. Your faith will be richly rewarded. And speaking of rewards, it tells us one of them. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Remember the tree of life? Shows up in the first three chapters of the Bible. Genesis 2 and 3. God put the tree of life in paradise. Um, But when Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned, do you remember what God did regarding the tree of life? He wouldn't let them eat from it. And most theologians agree that the reason that God would not let Adam and Eve eat from the tree of life in their sinful state is because he didn't want them or us to remain in our sinful state forever. So God protected that tree of life. He put the, the angel with the flaming sword there. But you know what happens at the, at the end of the story in Revelation? After our sin has been dealt with by Jesus Christ, the tree of life is opened to us again. And it tells us what this tree of life is like at the end of Revelation. Uh, it says that it's, it bears 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. We who overcome will get to partake of the tree of life. And it sounds awesome to me. I mean, imagine what that fruit might be like. But it's going to be for us because God wants to give it to us. So this message to the church in Ephesus is a reminder from Jesus. Remember, these are his words to the churches. And the reminder was them for them to love God. Not just to go through their motions, but to love God. Do not forsake your first love. How are you doing at that? I want to close today by reading another story from the Bible that talks about the importance of loving Jesus. It's probably a familiar one to most of you, but it's a really good one. From Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So 
both of these women started in the presence of God, but Martha, for some reason, thought that it was more important to get going to work. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think that oftentimes our work can be very honoring to God. I, I think that we should be known as people who do a good job at work or at school or at home with our chores or whatever it is. But Mary here is the better example. She took the time to stop and listen to Jesus. And when we listen to Jesus, our hearts are changed. That's one of the ways that we can make sure our hearts are in the right place, is to put our hearts in the presence of God. So seek Him. Listen to Him. Worship Him. Follow Him. Let Him change your heart. And as he changes our hearts, he will lead us into good works. The book of Revelation has a lot of good things to say about good works. We should have them. But even more important than that, we must never forsake our first love. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God. We come before you right now and we say you are our first love are most important. The, the most important thing we can do is to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, I pray that you would help us to remember that. And if there are any of us in here who have slipped away from that or forsaken that, God, we pray that we would repent. That we would turn around, that we would change our minds, that we would come before you and ask for your help to be in the right place with you. Not just in the right place of doing the right things, but the right place of loving you. God, I pray that you would give every single one of us in here wisdom to look at our hearts, even right now, to recognize where we are at and where you want us to be. And God, I pray that we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because you are worthy and we want to honor you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.